Minnesota, this is the FLW Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Opogger. Here's my good friend and co-host, the wild man, Jody White. Hey Joe, welcome to episode number 50. Thank you. Good to be here. Yeah, this is um this is actually our one year anniversary. Or basically it Wait, is. One year anniversary, how so? Well, October 16th, last year, which is the day most people are probably listening to this. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was our first podcast. Wow! So officially, we've been doing this a year now. Yeah, I mean, we fifty had... <laughs> episodes in. That means we took two weeks off. We took two weeks That's off. That's not too bad. One of them was definitely for uh, Christmas, as I recall. Mm-hmm. We didn't take Thanksgiving off. I don't think, or maybe We're we took hardcore. Thanksgiving, but we didn't take. I don't know. We, but yeah, we uh, we really have been pretty consistent. I would say. Yeah, I think to miss only to miss only two weeks in a year. It's pretty solid. I'm, I, I'm I think impressed. so. Um, cool. Yeah, that's the uh, that's the that's the story there. Well, I'm happy birthday, us FLW podcast turning one year old. I know, and Jesse uh, suggested that we have a party. Um, I'm all about it. And I said, well, yeah, I love parties, but he hasn't really done anything to plan that that I know of. So unless it's a surprise party, so I was gonna say maybe they're gonna have like a huge bash for us as soon as we come out of uh, my office here in our little recording studio. We'll step out into the hall. Surprise! Happy birthday! One year old. Do you think that's coming? Oh, well, I don't think that's coming. But I don't need. That's really the only option that we are at now. I think that's the only possibility. It would be sweet. We'll tell you what. Next time, the IT guys bring in cupcakes for everybody to the office. Bring we'll in just some candles. We'll just claim that as our celebration, and this is our birthday party. And maybe we'll make everybody sing to us. Who knows? All right. Well, I, I mean, we could do that. I really. The whole singing at birthday parties thing, I don't really mind it, but it's not really a part of birthdays that I super look forward to. I look forward to <laughs> the fellowship, uh, the food, that aspect. Um, but yeah, I think that's kind of cool. I've been cranking along for a year or so now, which is definitely definitely something deal. to be a little proud of. Look back after a year and be like, wow, we've been going uh, 50 episodes now. That's pretty cool. Yeah, so I was looking up what we talked about on the first episode, Yeah, and it's basically... The same thing we're going to talk about now. We ta- what do you we, like, mean? We wrapped up the Clear Lake Rayovac. We wrapped up the Cl- Clear Lake College Fishing Event. What do you know? This week, we're going to be talking about that same thing. Wow. Crazy coincidence. Um, That's funny. Yeah, so we've got that. We I think also last year, we might have been talking about the A-Rig ban. Mm-hmm. I think that was... That was the big news. I'm not sure if it was our first point? episode or if we were just talking about it because it happened a little while ago. I think it had to have been... Like our first episode, it's it had already happened because we had announced the schedule by that point, and we announced the schedule and the rule changes all at once last year. So we were definitely uh, debating. Who was our first guest? Do you remember that? Yes, I do. Who was that? David Dudley. Ah, okay. David Dudley. Earl was Headliner. that the classic ledge fishing interview where he yes, uh, it went was. off about it, ledge it was. It, we started the podcast with maybe one of the best all-time podcast wow. interviews where David Dudley just went off on ledge fishing. Who would have known that, you know, episode one, we were coming out of the gate firing. And It also had a correct prediction of David Dudley saying that Andy Morgan would win the Angler of the Year again. Mm-hmm. Um, 
because that we know that happened. Uh, yeah, so actually, episode one, I, I almost listened to it. And then I said, <laughs> I'm not going to subject myself to this. It's probably going to be super embarrassing. I already hate how my voice sounds when I listen back to these things. Do I really want to hear us just starting out a year ago? I don't think this. I don't think I want to do this. If we're being completely honest, I think episode one is the only podcast episode that I've ever listened to of ours. I listened to that first one. Was with you. I was like, oh man, yep. I uh, just recorded that, and I don't really need to listen to it because, yeah, you know how it is when you're listening to yourself. So, I think since then, basically, I'll, I'll just click, and then once it starts, I'll click off. That way. You know, we get the clicks. You're all about those downloads. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we'll bolster those numbers. But episode 50, we've made it. So thanks, everybody, for uh, listening for the past year. And uh, I think we've slowly grown our uh, listener base. I'm sure it's also better than it was when it started out. Yeah, I think we've got it down a little more. I know that, well, we still have audio recording problems weekly, so. Well, sometimes. But we're we're probably all set to go this week. Uh, (laughs) Although we are going to, when we get to our interview, we might, we might encounter a new challenge that we have yet to face. Ooh. Okay. Um, I'm always up for challenges. Actually, you know what? Let me just tell you right now, because we are not going to want to talk about this challenge in the interview. Uh, we're going to have Adrian Avina on. He's down nice. at Wheeler right now, practicing. Uh, like a John boat. I've been seeing pictures on Facebook. Yeah. We're going to get into that. But cool. here's the thing. He says... I texted him a little while ago. I said, hey, can you push it back a little bit? And he said, yes. Phone is at 15%, putting it, putting it on airplane mode until 140. So we have Saving every little bit of battery that yeah, he can. Yeah, we may be at the – this might be the first time where we've had a battery-limited hmm. interview. Interesting. Okay. Well, so, new 15%, challenges. I think we can get it done. I really think we can. All, all he's got to do is talk on the phone. I figure – we can probably get in a while, and you know what? If he just mysteriously drops off, yeah, we'll know like, why. Oh well, <laughs> there, there, there you go, and that's all. That's all, folks. So anyhow, I think uh, time to call Adrian. Uh, yeah. Well, let's first let's preview the episode. I guess just okay, break sure. down for the week. Uh, as Jody mentioned, Adrian Avina is our guest interview this week. That'll be uh, a lot of fun talking to him, previewing the Rayovac Championship, as well as seeing what he's been up to since uh, the last tournament that we saw him at Kentucky Lake. Then we're going to talk a little Rayovac. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say, I mean, I saw him at the Cup, but he wasn't fishing the Cup. Right, (laughs) right. But he can talk about what his duties were there. So that'll be kind of cool to talk about. Uh, We'll talk, we'll wrap up the Rayovac and college fishing event out on Clear Lake. We'll talk the Rayovac, or no, was it Clear Lake? It was Clear Lake. You have it the was de- Clear Lake. You have the Delta written down here, which is what threw me for a minute. I was like, wait. Oh, look at that. I do have the Delta. Delta. Yeah, okay. So, oh, but I Clear also, Lake. I have the college fishing one being on Clear Lake, though. There so we I go. Got, I got it half right. Yeah. We'll also talk about cool the was on the Delta too. college fishing event that was out on the Potomac River this past weekend. I actually got to go out there and attend. I'll talk about my experience there. And we'll also preview the upcoming college fishing invitational on Lake Chickamauga this weekend. So... Also, you wanted to talk to me about smallmouth. Yeah, yeah, I do. I want to talk to you about that FLW Outdoors article that we saw this week, the five best smallmouth destinations for fall. I want your opinions and then uh, some of your destinations as well. So we'll get into all that. But first, should we uh, call Mr. Avina and suck up all of his phone juice? I think so. We're going to wait two minutes, then call him. All right, here we go. All right. 
And now we're joined by FLW Tour Pro Adrian Avina, who right now is most famous for his ability to catch huge fish out of a John boat while practicing <laughs> for the Rayback Championship. Adrian, how you doing? Hi, man. I'm uh, doing all right. I'm actually out here on Wheeler Lake right now, sitting underneath a tree trying to stay out of the wind for you guys. Uh, but I'm doing all right, man, catching a few fish and looking forward for this uh, Rayback Championship here in a couple weeks. Awesome. Well, I appreciate that you are uh, that you're under the tree as opposed to trying to be out in the lake. I thank you for taking the time. But my question is, what's with the John boat? Because you typically are running a fully tricked out bass cat all over the place at like 500 miles an hour. And the John boat, I mean, I see it a lot in New Jersey when you're fishing these little things, but what are you, what are, what are you doing with that? Yeah. I mean, uh, the biggest thing back at home is kind of like what you just said. I mean, I do 99% of my fishing out of a 14 foot boat just because, uh, that's what we have. And, and the lakes that we have around the house just aren't that big. And a lot of them are electric only. So, I mean, I have a 14 foot John boat that's decked out has a live well, you know, has a big trolling motor on it. And also has a little kicker motor on it. Um, but I just recently sold my bass cat a couple, uh, I guess a couple, three weeks ago or so. And, and, uh, the new one's on its way. So instead of borrowing somebody's boat for, a couple of weeks, I decided to just do it strictly for the tournament, and I was just going to tow my 14-foot aluminum boat and run around. I mean, I've never been on Wheeler Lake, you know. And I'll tell you one thing, running around in a 14-foot John boat, I mean, I'm getting soaking wet. This lake gets pretty rough, and I'm just <laughs> having a good time. All right, so you'll be in a borrowed boat for the championship, though. Yeah, correct. I mean, um, the thing is, the thing is with FLW and with a lot of other tournament organizations, we have, there's a, a minimum for a boat, you know, what you can use for a tournament. So, I mean, there's no way, you know, I can get away with using this little 14 foot John boat, but, uh, but at least I'm able to get out on the lake, get, get familiar with it, you know, and, and be able to practice a little bit, um, and not have to borrow somebody's boat for a couple weeks time. Cool. <laughs> So, Adrian, I see a lot of guys, you know, currently getting ready to sell their boats. Uh, people have started listing them already that they've been running on the tour for 2014. Um, why did you sell your boat so early? Was it just an opportunity and you had a buyer, so you were like, we're pulling the trigger now? Or why didn't you save it for after this championship? Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing is, um, I mean, the used boat market, I mean, there's, there's a lot of guys uh, looking for used bass boats and when you get an opportunity, though, and, and they're going to give you what you're willing to ask or willing, mm -hmm. you know, what you're trying to get for your boat, I mean, you got to jump on it, you know. And I had somebody come in uh, looking to buy in the boat, and we, we kind of settled on the date. And this was prior to me qualifying for this Rayovac championship. So, I mean, there, there was a little, a little bit of thought process. I mean, I really wasn't sure if I was going to qualify for this thing or not, but I mean, if I could do it all over again, I'd probably keep the boat for another couple of weeks, you know, and then this way I'd be able to fish out of uh, my bass net. But and I think we're going to be all right. You know, when somebody's willing to pay a good amount for your bass boat, you want to get ahead and, and give it to the guy when he wants it. Um, and I, that's just basically that's what I did. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, you never know uh, selling anything used if you're going to get that same price again or if that same opportunity is going to come by again. So I think uh, – I think I'm getting out, getting out ahead of it. Probably not a bad call. Um, cool. Well, anyhow, I guess, 
sort of sticking on the Wheeler subject, are you, if you're doing all of your practice on Wheeler out of a John boat or almost all of your practice, do you feel like that's limiting your approach in any way other than just it takes you longer to get to places? Are you finding that you're fishing things differently than you might out of your regular boat? Yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely no doubt about that. You know, I mean, <laughs> actually, my first run, my first run this morning was about ten miles. So, I mean, I guess it really doesn't doesn't hurt me too bad. But I mean, there's definitely um, there's definitely times um, that I've seen over the past few days that it seems like I stay on trolling motor a little bit more than what I'm doing. Um, and honestly, a couple of times I've, I got a, I got a key bite or two, you know, that might include me in on something. So many pounds rust trolling motor and I got an HDS nine, which trucks the skin. I knew a couple of weeks ago that this was going to be the boat that I was going to have to practice in. So, I mean, I was able to, to idle out there deep when I needed to, and, and also get on the bank when I, when I saw something that looked good. So, I mean, for the most part, I mean, I'm able to do what I want to do. Uh, the only issue we have um, here the last couple of days is, I mean, yesterday we about got hit by a tornado and about rained three or four inches and it's been blowing about 25 miles an hour. So I have, I have been staying on the, on the side of the lake that hasn't had all the wind on it. Um, so, I mean, in that sense, it has hurt me a little bit, but it seems like the last couple of days have been pretty productive and, and, um, I mean, I'm pretty satisfied with what I've seen so far. Adrian, give us the rundown of how you came up, basically. Uh, obviously, you know, New Jersey, not a lot of pro anglers coming out of there. How did you get started? Yeah, I mean, for me, it all started in saltwater fishing. Um, I mean, I basically grew up in the Jersey Shore. I'm doing a lot of saltwater fishing. So from the time I've been young, I've been surrounded by electronics. On the saltwater side, electronics have been in the picture for a lot longer than the freshwater side. So for me, when I jump-started in 2000, 2008, I graduated high school in 2009, FLW college fishing, and it was also my first year, my freshman year. That's when it came out. Um, and pretty much I just jumped right into that. I fished FLW college fishing for the first two years. I went out and I bought a cheaper glass boat. I threw on some electronics, and, and I really hit the lakes hard in the area. And I also tried to fish, like, up in the northern region. And just understanding um, how to use electronics I feel like it was crucial for me to get started and to really have a jump start, even though I was new into the sport. I really understood the whole offshore fishing um, and how to be able to find fish and locate bass. And the biggest thing for us is um, that's the, that's half the battle, you know, being able to get around these fish because people don't understand a lot of these lakes that we go to. I mean, they're like mini oceans. You know, there's a lot of dead water. And my ability to be able to locate those fish uh, was crucial for me to really get started. Um, so I fished the northern Rayovacs, um, which were actually the uh, Everstarts uh, back in 2000, I guess, I believe it was 2011. Um, the first one I fished, I ended up winning. And in 2011, I finished second in points, which qualified me to fish the FLW Tour. And I decided to take the winnings that I've made in 2011 uh, to basically invest it, you know, it's just like anything else. I mean, this is a business, and I decided to take that decision and invest it into into the 2012 FLW Tour. Um, that's what I did, you know, and I um, I did well my first couple of years, and now we're in 2014 getting ready to fish my my fourth year on tour in 2015, and, and I just can't wait, man. I'm excited. Cool. Take us back to the saltwater fishing when you were a kid. Um, I know that you do some guiding 
you know, there now. Did you grow up in like a family guiding business or how did you get started saltwater fishing? No, so saltwater fishing for me, I mean, it's always been in the family. We fished a lot of a lot of saltwater tournaments, ranging from inshore tournaments to marlin to shark. I mean, pretty much you name it, we've done it. Um, nobody in my family is a is a charter captain. Uh, two years ago, I decided to, to go ahead and, and get my captain's license because it was it was just another opportunity for me um, in the off season when I'm not bass fishing. I was able to be able to take clients out, take customers out. It's another source of income, you know, to keep this uh, this sport and and um, and this passion for being a professional fisherman alive. You know, I mean, it's uh, it's inconsistent out there. You know, you gotta you gotta really work hard and. And sometimes things don't go in your favor. So having another source of income, um, being a charter captain at home, I mean, it just makes it it makes it that much easier to fish the tour year. Definitely. Okay. Oh, Jody, go ahead. You got a question on saltwater? Sorry. No, it's not about saltwater. Oh, well, I was just going to continue on with the story. Then you mentioned after that, you know, you went to Chestnut Hill College and got in right when FLW College Fishing was starting. Um, was there already a fishing club there? Did you guys get started at that time? Uh, how many members were there? Talk about the growth of your college fishing club a little bit. Yeah, so back in 2009, uh, when FLW College Fishing started, uh, a buddy of mine uh, and I, we decided to make a club. And he was just a roommate. He was actually a, a recruit from Illinois. His name was Troy Eikenberry. Um, and him and I, we decided it was both our freshman year, and, and we both enjoyed uh, bass fishing, and we both liked the outdoors, and we just hit it off, you know. And we didn't know each other going into school, uh, but we became really good friends, and we decided to, to get ahead and approach our school, and, and we put a budget together, and we decided to establish a club. And, I mean, everything was good, you know. And our first year, we had uh, roughly seven or eight uh, people who participated in the club, and by time... I graduated. I mean, there was roughly 30. Uh, so the growth cool. and um, and the people, you know, wanting to join the club. I mean, not not only was it just a, an FLW fishing club, but it was able to bring people that not necessarily fished. I mean, I went to school in Philadelphia, you know, and that's a heart of the city. And, and there wasn't a whole lot of people that enjoyed the passion of fishing in the outdoors like Troy and I did. So basically when Troy and I created this club we brought people from the city you know from the suburbs um that never fished before they never caught a bass or, or never caught a bluegill and we were able to fish a little creek behind our campus um and once they caught their first fish it was like almost watching a kid you know i don't want to i don't want to crack jokes or, or make anybody feel ashamed but it doesn't matter if you're five years old or if you're 22 years old when you catch your first fish and, and you have that passion for it I mean, it really lights somebody's eyes up, and it was cool being able to change, um, and I can call them city slickers, into some country boys <laughs> and, and being able to catch two fish. Cool. So, Adrian, sort of on the college tact, I mean, you had a solid career in college, but you didn't have uh, – you, you weren't a transcendent fisherman in college, or at least you guys weren't a transcendent team. Like, from what I can tell, I don't think you guys ever won an event um, – and you, I don't think a lot of people would have, just looking at your stats, would have pegged you and said, this guy has the makings to fish in the pros. And I feel like we've seen a lot of a lot of college guys who don't necessarily have transcendent stats end up being the people who actually are solid 
college fishermen versus, you know, some people who, you know, rack up multiple national championship wins. And we still really haven't seen uh, Matt and Jake from Florida really make their mark on the pro side. So do you have any reasoning why you think you were able to be successful? So back when, in 2009, when FLW College Fishing first started, the criteria were a little bit different than they are now. Back in the beginning, um, in order for you to weigh in your fish, you could only keep, it was maybe like three per person. So we were forced, both students were forced to catch their own fish. Um, and now, yeah, I believe it's a best five of the both. So it doesn't matter right. if one guy catches five or one guy catches four. You're allowed to weigh in your best five. So when we first started, um, you know, Troy and I, my partner, it was just a little tricky, you know. I mean, when you first fish with a new team partner, um, I mean, we go back, you know, we, we didn't have a whole lot of experience fishing together. It was basically the first couple times we ever fished together. So it was just a little bit different, you know. One of us on one day would be clicking. Um, another day, the other guy would be clicking, you know. It was just seemed like we could never both put it together. Um but, I mean, just being able to fish FLW College Fish and get a taste for what it was about, um, some of the guys that I've met that become mentors, some of the professionals, and, I mean, it really just gave me a lot of opportunity. So, Adrian, we've had, obviously, some technical difficulties here. Uh, the uh, service isn't what we'd like it to be. But before we let you go, you had, you know, kind of a disappointing season this year. So what are your 2015 goals? Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing in 2015 is I just want to get back on my feet. You know, I mean, I had a, a couple of those tournaments and a couple of those bad breaks that you just don't, you can't have. You can't afford to have in six events. And the biggest thing for me is I just want to, I want to have a good, strong first tournament. I want to go ahead and go down to Florida and I just want to catch them. And I don't care how I got to catch them, if it's with a spinning rod or, or a flipping stick. You know, I just want to go make sure I put myself in a good position down there. Um, and then it's just taking one tournament at a time. I mean, really, I mean, I'd love to get back to that Forestwood Cup. I mean, that's when uh, a career can really change uh, by, having, by winning that. Um, so, I mean, the biggest thing for me is, is get ahead, getting a good start to 2015 with a good tournament down on Lake Tahoe, um, and then just try to take one event at a, at a time and, and hope to qualify for that 2015 Forestwood Cup. Awesome. I like it. Well, Adrian, uh, thanks for coming on. Um, sorry about the uh, technical issues, but, you know, I'm glad we at least got through some of it. And, man, uh, good luck practicing for Wheeler, and uh, good luck at the Rayback Championship. And I hope your off season, such as it is, continues to go well. Thanks a lot, guys. Thanks for having me. Adrian, real quick, where can people find out more about you? I know you've got a Facebook page and I think a Twitter, Instagram, website. Where can people find you? Yeah, the biggest thing is just to get ahead and try and follow me on all the social medias. And I also have a personal website at adrianadvina.com. I'm in the process of updating that website, but in hopes I'm going to have a lot of good, cool things on there. I'm going to sell some products and, and possibly some T-shirts and stuff like that. Cool. Uh, the biggest thing is, the biggest thing, I'm going to try and create my own brand. You know, the Jersey Boys kind of sticking and I'm going to really try and create that and try and run home with it. And uh, hopefully one of these days I can win a couple of these big events and turn some heads. I like it. All right, man. Well, good luck out on Wheeler and the John boat. Yeah, good luck, Jersey boy. Thank you. Thanks, guys. The biggest goal for me is try not to sink this week, you know, just get by it. But uh, (laughs) you guys have a good day, and thanks again for having me.
All right. You bet. So, Joe, we just wrapped up uh, the Adrian Avina interview, and it's not as long as we would have liked it to have been for whatever reason. It it wasn't a battery issue this time like we thought it might be. It was... It was we would talk to him and it would sound great for a while, uh, clear as day, and then all of a sudden just the service would just crater and we lose him. Uh, yeah, it seemed to be happening more frequently the further along we got. I'm not sure if that's actually true or if it just feels like that, <laughs> but it, it got to be where we were to the point where like let's get a good answer, clean it up, and uh, we'll probably talk to him at the Rayovac Championship uh, in person. Get a few more Adrian Avina related thoughts. There we go. I know it's happened in the past as well with some past podcast guests where we've had some service issues or the audio quality isn't quite what we want it to be. And I guess it kind of just comes in Texas. Comes with the territory. I mean, uh, you know, when we're interviewing these guys from some pretty remote locations, they're out on the water practicing and uh, being kind enough to allow us to pick their brain a little bit. We just kind of have to got to work around it, I guess. There's not much we can do. I do think we have enough uh, quality Avena content to put together a pretty decent interview, and I like the idea of talking to him more at the Rayovac Championship. So, yeah, I think uh, you know, especially on a lake like this where he doesn't really know it necessarily super well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if I was on the south end of Champlain, I would know where I could run to get good service. Right. Um, but he probably doesn't know that on a wheeler, mm-hmm. and there's. You know, you talk to talk to guys, and it's like, well, I'm going to cross my fingers. It works and, and stuff like that. In, in fairness to him, I mean, it did look like he had decent service. I mean, he sent us the screenshot of his phone. He had. He, it looked like he had, like, three bars of 3G. Yeah, I mean, so that should work, right? <laughs> it looked good. I don't know what happened, but, yeah, either way, thanks a ton to Adrian for coming on. Uh, the little time that we did get to talk to him, it was very yeah, interesting. Do you want to talk about this screenshot he sent us? Because <laughs> it's creeping me out. Yeah, you've been making fun of it. Why Why are you so weirded out by it? Well, so he sent us a screenshot, and this is, uh, you know, of a standard uh, a standard iPhone, you know, photo. First of all, you mentioned that he's got a ton of unread email messages, right? Yeah, over 1,800. 1,800. Adrian, check your email. Come on, man. Um. He's got something he's got to change in his settings. He's got an alert there. So I don't know what the deal <laughs> is. But it's the screen is like the stock screen. I mean Meaning like when you first buy the phone? I mean, yes. Like it you know, he didn't take his messages and move them down into the like quick access bar. It doesn't look like he's installed any <laughs> different apps on the home screen. It's like, he's got his stocks app up. He's got hey, Game Center on the front page. He's got more important things to do, okay? I, I just, I, I, I want to know how he uses his phone is what I want to know. That's I want to know, like, what what Adrian's go-to, like, how does he find these apps? Does he does he keep this page up, like, just to send screenshots of things? And then he'll, like, go to, like, the next page where he's got actually what his phone is? It's <laughs> It's just astonishing to me, and... I, I want to make a study of this now. I, I'm going to say he just got a brand new phone. He got a brand new iPhone 6 Plus and just like two days ago. Hasn't done anything with it yet. That's going to be my guess. Okay, now I'm pretty sure it's not a 6 Plus because, and I don't know for sure, but I think 6 Pluses display uh, more and different, definitely more, I think, icons. Like they might display five across on the bottom. Okay. This only displays four across, so it displays like a standard phone, uh, which has me a little bit concerned. <laughs> so I don't know, man. I'm 
I'm probably just making a mountain out of a molehill here, but it's it's freaking me out. The one thing that I'm concerned about is the 1,800 unread email messages. I mean, come on, we could have a Good Morning New Jersey emailing you in there, wanting you to come in for an interview or something. But I'm sure he looks at the important ones. Maybe it's all junk mail. I'm gonna send him a few emails and check. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right, cool. So, um, you know, we got through that, and I there's definitely a few more subjects to get into with Adrian because he's mm-hmm. a super interesting guy. Uh, right. Who, going into this year, I mean, he was sort of one of the up-and-comers, one of the guys we thought, you know what, he had a great season last year. He made the Cup. He did well at the Cup. He had a lot of momentum, really. And you would have thought that that momentum would have continued into this year. And he was one of the guys I think a lot of us really were looking at and saying, this guy's going to have a big year. Um, I still think that's going to happen next year. I agree. I mean, in all fairness, we talk about how he did have a little bit of a down year. He still only finished 46th in, you know, tour standings out of, you know, 175, 180 anglers. So he was basically almost top 25%, which is pretty good. Um, He didn't make the cup. You're right. However, quite a few big names didn't make the cup this year. Jay Yellis, Dave LaFibra. I mean, JT Kenny, these are all guys that were perennial cup contenders, didn't make it this year either. So I'm not too worried about Adrian. I think he's going to be here for quite a few years. He seems to have the right mindset and outlook. And, uh, yeah, I think, you know, we'll be seeing a lot more of Adrian over the next coming years. Yeah, I uh, I agree. And I think, um, you know, from what he's told me off podcast, I feel like he had a very unlucky and – 2014 season Mm -hmm. and I feel like he's probably learned some things and has some you know some better ways to combat that stuff going forward so I think this is probably you know maybe last year maybe he got a little bit lucky and maybe this year he got a little bit unlucky Mm -hmm. I think we're going to see a stronger better Adrian Avina in 2015 and it's not like he had a bad year you know fishing the Rayovacs he basically I feel like made the top 20 just about every time Mm mm-hmm uh, fishing in the Northern Division. So. Who knows? Maybe he, you know, wins this championship on Wheeler Lake, completely turns his season around, and, you know, he looks at 2014 as his most successful year ever so far. So I mean, that it, could it, very well still happen. It, it, You could certainly argue that if he did win the championship and, you know, pre-qualify for the Cup and all mm-hmm. that good stuff, it would be, be neat to see. Yeah. So, well, anyways, thanks to Adrian for a great interview. That was a lot of fun. Should we get into the rest of the pod? Sure thing. Cool. What do you want to talk about first? Well, the first thing I've got on here is the BFL schedule. And I don't have it in front of me. And I've looked at it, and really nothing stuck out to me. I sort of, there's so much. And because Mm -hmm. I'm not fishing one division, I didn't go through division by division Mm -hmm. and say, this is what I'm excited for, this is what I'm excited for. But it seems like a pretty good schedule to me. Like I didn't look at it and see anything that I said, oh, man, I don't like that. This year, you know, following every single BFL super closely, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, it's it's a long slog. But, man, there's some there's some creativity down there. There's guys catching fish cool ways. There's, uh, it's it's really neat for me to look and look at the standings every week and see the guys who I think, oh, maybe this is an up-and-comer versus, oh, this is just somebody who really dominates this particular lake. And it, it, it's or cool. Or got lucky. Yeah, I mean, there's a that too. It's... It's the BFLs are awesome, um, and I'm looking forward to the, you know, whatever the next season is. And it, I don't, I don't really care about the lakes that much. Um, Probably the thing that I was most excited about though was the All American, and that 
it's gone back to a standalone event. Uh, the last few years, it's been coinciding with an FLW tour event. Uh, it just makes sense, you know, operation from an operations and logistical standpoint was it's easy when we're coming down from Benton, Kentucky to just haul a few trailers down and get it all done at once. And, you know, we'll have the tour at Chickamauga while the BFL guys go out on Nickajack, which we did last year. Or this year it was, you know, uh, Hartwell for the tour. And then where was the All-American this year? I know that was it was coinciding with Pickwick. Excuse me for the college. Yeah, right. But yeah, same thing. I guess Kiwi and Hartwell for the college, but the All American was Wilson, right? Yeah, Pickwick and Wilson. So this year we're moving to the standalone event. It's going to give the BFL guys that make it to the All American a little more exposure, a little more media coverage that they deserve. That they deserve. It won't be overshadowed by the tour that's in town as well. So I love to see that, and then pretty excited to you You know, know. You know what I love about it? What? It's on Kentucky Lake. I'm going to get to sleep in my own bed yeah. to cover that tournament. <laughs> it's going to be awesome. By that point, <laughs> you'll be down there. Yeah, so that's uh, – I'm I'm really excited for the standalone. Uh, mm-hmm. for, for the standalone All-American. I agree. That's that's going to be an awesome thing for the guys who made the All-American. Um, all right. What's next? Let's get in this smallmouth uh, debate. All right, Joe, hit me. What so do you got? Did, did you happen to see the article at FLWoutdoors.com? I did. Okay. I see well, for people... 99.9% of the articles <laughs> on FLWoutdoors.com, Joe. Good, good. That's part of your job. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so that was a test and you passed. For anybody that didn't get to see it, um, TJ Maglio, freelance writer for FLW website, came up with his five best smallmouth destinations for fall. Now, as you mentioned, Jody, you've seen the list, but for people who haven't, I'm going to run down uh, TJ's top five here. Number one, he has Dale Hollow Lake in Birdstown, Tennessee. Number two, he has Chequamegan Bay up in Wisconsin. Okay, that's not how you say it. All right. Give me the proper uh, pronunciation. Schwamigan. Schwamigan. Okay. At least I'm fairly sure, unless... A number of people have been pulling my leg on that, which they could be, because frankly, I would believe anything with how that's spelled. <laughs> now, it looks sh- like Schwamakin. I'm going to say that. It looks like a Native American word, being uh, you know up here in Minnesota and Wisconsin. It's kind of that area. Could be. So, Schwamakin Bay in Wisconsin. Uh, number three for TJ was Rainy Lake here in uh, International Falls, Minnesota. It's actually where Patterson and Leith and Bill Taylor got to go up and fish against Scott Martin. Number four, New River in Beckley, West Virginia. Never heard of it. Number five, Thousand Islands in New York. So my question for you, Jody White, is would that be your top five? And if not, I want a couple of your best smallmouth destinations for fall. Uh, well, I don't really have any particular arguments against these. Okay. Um, I think Rainy's fine. I would I will say, from what I know, anyhow, I don't really see a whole lot of like really big fish caught out of rainy. Like it has a lot of fish, but I feel like it's more. And I could be wrong in this, but I feel like it's more of a Champlain style smallmouth fishery, where you've got a lot of three and four pounders, but you don't really have the potential for catching a, you know, a six or a seven. Okay. That said, that's not necessarily a bad thing. A lot of three and four pounders, is super fun. Um, I think Thousand Islands is a good one. Um, Lake Ontario is a lot of what the Thousand Islands juice is, but that part of the country, that that uh, sort of 
that flowage area get i mean there's a lot of fish caught there a lot of big fish caught there in the fall um so i think that's a good time i think a little fun a fact one. about a thousand islands it's called one thousand islands however there are actually one thousand eight hundred and sixty four islands in that area where, learn, did, where did you learn this fact that from? was in the article <laughs> in tj's article here that's where i learned it from so all right um, i feel like that's a lot of islands it does seem like a lot of islands. Have you ever been up there or driven over it? I have not. It is worth going just for the scenery. It is absolutely gorgeous up there. I I would recommend I would recommend you go there. I think that's legit. Cool. Um, Schwamigan Bay. I've heard great things about it. Would like to go there. I, I actually almost went this weekend myself. I have really. Just I have made been the trek? very close to making the trek. Here's why I would not put it there. Frankly, from what I can tell, it doesn't have great facilities to support fishermen. And that, and I say that, I can't find a decent campground around there. Like, anywhere near it. It's all hotels. I would like a campground where I can pitch my tent for less money and okay. have, shower, have access to a shower. So, I think that that alone has me saying, probably awesome fishing, but there's not a huge ton of variety in there. Like from what I understand, you've got a few certain types of fishing that are really good, Mm -hmm. but it's not, it's not the type of place where you're really getting out and finding fish and moving a lot around a ton. Um, so I don't know. I, I I think Schwamigan probably a really cool place. I don't know if I'd put it in a top five. So if there's any, uh, Schwamigan, campsite owners or rv park owners or anything like Please, that get at me get in touch with jody white or exist. any locals even yeah any locals know any yes. places to stay get at because jody white he Google wants to come doesn't there. think you exist at jody blanco on twitter shoot it at him yeah um the new river i'm fine with it's a really cool fishery uh i it was interesting to me that this focused almost exclusively on the west virginia portion of the new river the portion of the new river in virginia has really great smallmouth fishing as well. And definitely the bigger ones do come out later in the years. In the summers, in the summer it's hard to catch big smallmouth in the New River. You can catch a lot of numbers. Mm-hmm. But definitely I think that could be a, a legitimate one and it's an interesting fishery. I mean there's a lot of rivers where you can go catch big smallmouth and the New River is a cool place to do it. Um, also, depends on where you're at in the New River. Some really slammer musky in there too if you uh, are interested in that. Cool. Um, Dale Hollow. I'm not going to argue with Dale Hollow. There's a lot of places down there where you can catch a big smallmouth. Um, and Dale Hollow is one of them. So there's that. Six of the ten largest smallmouths on record came out of Dale Hollow, including when? the world record 11 pound, 15 ounce. Yeah. Smallmouth. My question. Can you imagine catching 11 pound smallmouth? Oh my god. Oh, believe me, I have imagined it. <laughs> Don't worry. Um, my question would be, I wonder when those six of the ten biggest smallmouth ever came out of Dale Hollow. I would guess that most of them came out of, like, Dale Hollow pre the year 2000 would be my guess. I'm not saying, I mean, Dale Hollow, it's, I think, gotten better recently. Uh, but I don't think it's quite up to its heyday in the 70s, 80s type fishing is my guess. Sure. And the article doesn't mention that at all, so. Unfortunately, I don't have an answer for you. 
Okay, I thought maybe you'd like pulled up a 10 biggest swath of all time list or something. No, I'm just throwing you facts from TJ's article. He did an awesome job on it. All right, we're going to do an article on 10 biggest swath of all time. <laughs> I'm writing this down right now. There you go. Okay, so you went through his five, basically agreeing with them. Sure. I want three lakes that you would add to this. Well, I would add Champlain to this. Champ- Surprise! <laughs> <laughs> Look, sorry, Joe. No, no. It absolutely deserves to be on there, but give me your reasoning behind it, because I live there. uh, Well, yes, (laughs) that's mainly the the main reason. No, Champlain, actually, really good smallmouth fishing all year round, but during the fall is the time. There's two times to win tournaments on smallmouth on Champlain, and that is the fall and the spring when the largemouth are post-spawn, but the smallmouth are still spawning. Mm-hmm. And that, a lot of times, is before fishing season, before you can keep fish. Right. So it's kind of a hard time to actually know if you can win tournaments or not. It depends on the year. But during the fall, tournaments are won on smallmouth, sometimes on Champlain, and it's a good place to, it's a, it's a great place to fish. So I would say that. Also, okay. Champlain's just a good place to go. I mean, there's Plattsburgh, Fishing up in up that up in that neck of the woods. I know it's in, in New York. That's unfortunate, but why? Because New York's terrible. It's oh man, I like Plattsburgh a lot. I mean, Plattsburgh is fine, but you know it's in New York, and it'd be a lot better if it was in Vermont. Um, I'm just saying, you know, just because Vermont's better. Uh, so there's that. Um, I think I, I'm trying to. I'm sort of talking myself in and out of putting other parts of the Great Lakes on here. Um, I think uh, I think St. Clair and Erie, you could put them on there. This article seemed like it was aimed a little more toward off-the-beaten-track great smallmouth destinations than just smallmouth destinations that have a really great reputation. Sure. Uh, but the problem with Erie is you can get blown off. You might go there for three days and then not get to fish at any of those days. I think Sturgeon Bay is a, one that I would have put on there. I've ne- I haven't been there in the fall, but having been there once in the summer, I can imagine it is awesome in the fall. <laughs> and it's another sort of man- more manageable area, uh, like mm-hmm. Schwamigan, where you actually have a little bit of you have room to move around, and there's some different things you can do, but you're not going to get blown off the same way you might on Erie. Um, okay, I think I might have put St. Clair on there too. Just because, I mean, St. Clair always kicks out a lot of smallmouth. It's fishing really well this year. Last year it didn't fish really well. Um, so I think that would be one. And, uh, you know, I don't know for sure but how it fishes in the fall necessarily, but South Holston Reservoir in Tennessee and Virginia, it's right on the border, has some giant smallmouth. I mean, it's, it's up there, maybe surpasses even. Dale Hollow, as far as just numbers of seven pound plus smallmouth that come out of there, and it's a great fishery in the winter and in the spring. I would guess it's a really good fishery in the fall as well. So that's something I'd be interested in. Cool, I like it. Champlain, South Holston, sure. Sturgeon Bay, Lake Saint Clair. Yeah, and it's a pretty I, good list. It's a good list. I think they're all awesome places to go. I'm. It, I would want to put a lot more thought and research and time on the water before I was to say, these are my top five fall smallmouth <laughs> destinations or my top four rather. kind of put you on the spot a little bit. I, I mean, you know, I would probably need to fish all those places for like at least a month or so to really 
get an understanding of where I would rank them. So I'd say give me like 10 years and an unlimited budget. I'll get you a real definitive top five false Swamp destination <laughs> uh, article. <laughs> cool. Well, like I said, I really enjoyed uh, TJ's article. And if you know, if you're listening and you think, we're missing some someplace that we should be considering. Podcast yeah. at flwfishing.com. Or tweet it at us. That's what I was going to say. Tweet it at us. But yeah, or you can email it in, and uh, maybe we'll give you a shout-out next week on the pod. If you bring some really good stats in your email, yeah. we're definitely going to yeah, read d- it. Definitely don't just give me your like. <laughs> give me your reasoning behind it as well. I want well, some stats. So. All also, right. location of campgrounds. I'd like that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, all right, Joe. I think... Uh, I think we can talk about uh, California now. Yeah. Awesome. Well, first up, the uh, Rayback FLW Series event on Clear Lake. It was the final one of the Western Conference, or of the Western Division. It was the final, final regular. Oh, sorry. I was getting to that. Sorry. I had, it was, Go ahead. You're correct, Joe. It <laughs> was also the final regular season Rayback of the year where we're all done. We've got just the championship ahead of us. Um, and Aaron Britt caught 70 pounds exactly uh, and took home the win. Not bad for three days. That's pretty good. Yes, indeed. Um, also, Todd Klein is on fire. He's, Surfer. Surfer yeah. Todd Klein. He, he's won two. He's won two from the co-angler side, two Western Division events this year. Um, of the three. Of the three, which is pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, After winning AOI last year, yep, he uh, and well, he he won AOI again this year too. Right. Although I think he needed like a first or second place finish to win AOI, the way it worked out, and he was able to improve his bag on the final day and win mm. it, which is really super cool. Um, and I, I think that's uh, I think I think that's neat to see potentially. We wrote about him as like one of the rising stars early in the year. Mm-hmm. It's you know you look at you look at how guys, excuse me, you look at how guys do as co anglers, and you're never quite sure. Like some guys rocket as co anglers and then turn out to be Casey Martin, and it's awesome. And you know, he's doing it at the Rayback level, not the tour level. But boy, I'm really interested to see him hopefully do it at the tour level soon because I, I want to see the next stage of Todd Klein. Definitely. He's tearing that Western uh, division up. For sure. <clears throat> Fun fact about Aaron Britt from our friends at Bass Fan. Did you happen to see this? Yes. His you MMA don't need to fight? Say, you don't need to say. Never mind. Go on. Oh, what what don't I need to say? Well, you were going to credit like Bass Fan to like digging this up, this piece mm-hmm. of information. It's right on his Instagram profile. Um, I'm just saying. I realized this, but go on. Oh, well, I give them credit for digging it up, even though Jody must have known about it but didn't tell anybody. But uh, I, yeah. I wasn't that interested. Bass fan brought it to light, of course. He was an MMA fighter, which I had no idea about, and he was involved in a crazy 14-second double knockout in the first round. If you haven't seen the video, go to Bass Fan and check it out, or his Instagram page. That's where Jody would prefer you to go, but... Check it out on Bass Fan. It's a sweet video, and we're glad that this MMA fighter is now uh, he hung, hung up the gloves in the octagon, and he's out smashing bass on Clear Lake and Do they dominating. wear gloves for that? Yeah, they're light gloves, and they're fingerless gloves, but they do wear gloves. Oh, fingerless gloves. Well, yeah. I'm all for it then, because I love fingerless gloves. <laughs> they are one of my probably 
They're an essential. I'm going to put them in the top five Swamath Lakes fingerless gloves. Um, Anyways, right. it's a crazy video, so check it out. Cool. Did you get a chance to talk to Aaron? Well, I did, and would you like to hear what he had to say? I, I, yes, I would. Here you go. Hey, Frank, all week. I've been up here practicing for, uh, for four days prior to the tournament, um, and I found some fish shallow on a square bill, and um, on the last day of practice, I found a bite deep cranking. Um, so on the first day of the tournament, I, um, I just stuck with what my guns are normally are deep cranking. I, I feel more confident than I do shallow cranking, so... I went to some of my key areas, and I caught a big bag on day one, which led me to continue that pattern for the rest of the race in the tournament. Um, and on day two, um, I had some really big fish on that came off, and um, that just, just told me that I need to stick with what I'm doing. And I, uh, I cranked from 9 to 14 feet, 9 to 15 feet, um, all three days. All right. I had three spots I just rotated this all, all, all day. All right, so the three spots, um, what were they? I assume they were some sort of rock, but were they like little humps? Were yeah, they there was some, parts of yeah, them? Yeah, it, it was just a rock ledge. One of them was just a, a big rock ledge that runs, runs alongside of Highway 20, um, and the other two spots were very popular spots on the lake called Horseshoe and um, Henderson. Okay, do you think that you were doing something different on those spots or something different with your crankbait or crankbaits? You know, that- I more time on it than people were willing to spend on it. I knew what was swimming down there. I knew if I made enough cap uh, going back and forth down the bank that one of them was going to eat. And it was just a matter of time before I hit it on the rest ball. Guys were cranking all around me, but I think they didn't give it their time. If they didn't get bit within an hour, they'd leave. But I, I knew that, again, when these fish would move up, you know, if that doing sun would come up, there'd be some shaded things type fish, and I just knew that they would come up eventually. And when they did, if I hit them on the head, they were going to eat my bait. And it just so happened, they did. All right, nice. Were you, uh, you know, these crankbaits, were you cranking them fast or slow or, you know, just sort yeah, of medium was, speed or anything in particular? Yeah, I was cranking them extremely hard until I got to the bottom, and once I got to the bottom, I would just leave my rod to the left and just feel the bottom of my rod here as opposed to actually trying to in with my reel. Oh, wow, so you really, um, you yeah, were really um, creeping them along then once you got them down. Well, I wasn't necessarily creeping them along. I was moving my rod pretty, pretty fast and hit the bottom, but it's it, Okay, so I guess with the rod sweep, then you would have had almost like a stop and go type retrieve, almost, right? Or not? I'm I'm trying to understand it. No, not really. No, I would just I would sweep it, but I would build my flat up as I was going. I mean, the thing, it, it, it never really stopped me. It would slow down a little bit while I would reel my clock up and pull it, but I would still have it moving. A lot of my fish would eat it when I was hung up, and I would pop my crankbait free, and they would eat it off of the stack. Um, I was showing a Daniki DC 400, um, a Norman DD 22, and a Spro Little John. <laughs> Generally speaking, this time of year, the water temperature is about 4 to 5 degrees cooler which uh, not only helps the bite, but it pushes a lot of those fish shallow to eat, eat bait and crappie and, and, and bluegill. But um, we've had such a, such a hot spell this past month that the water has continued to stay in the mid-70s, and it's got these fish confused. A lot of these fish are suspending still, um, and they're still out deep in their summer haunts waiting to come up. So, And that's why, I, uh, that's why I just kept going back and forth those areas, because I knew at one point something was going to move up, and if I was there when that moved up, I was going to catch them. All right, cool. Um, this is, as far as I can tell, your first FLW win. Uh, how did it feel? Yeah, it's uh, very emotional. You know, I I I, I drive around 94 
uh, a boat, you know, I've had it for seven years and a boat's a boat, but um, to come out here and be able to compete with the guys that, that I've grown up watching, um, Brett Hyde and Pierce Monroe and, and Jared Littner and those guys, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a great feeling, but, you know, I, again, I put so much hard work and effort into this and, and I, I, have, I have confidence in myself that I can hang with these guys just to kind of validate that, so I'm, uh, I'm, just, I'm just very, 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 very happy. So, Aaron basically covered everything in that in that clip. I mean, he talked about his baits. He talked about uh, how he caught his fish. I, I really don't. Usually, I like I have some things to wrap up and say this is what happened. But mm-hmm. he, he he was a great interview. I feel like a lot of these Western guys they give me great interviews. I don't know if it's that I'm just less familiar with some of the things they do. It's not like he was doing crazy stuff in this though, right? Or if it's just that they're really good talkers. Uh, but he hit the nail on the head. So there you go. Cool. Well, let's get to the important matter at hand here, the Rayovac Rumble, Jody. All right. I, you... have, uh, I have them written down here, but oh, it looks okay. like you do too. Yeah, I did as well. I was pretty excited about this one. Go ahead. Well, give Joe, us the rundown. If you're, if you're so excited about this, who am I to rob you of that joy? <laughs> go get it. All right. Jody Head, Jeff Mickles, our good friend MDJ. Michaels. Jeff Michaels. Sorry. Michaels. I, I know I popularized the mispronunciation of his name, but that is not how we say it. All right. It's my fault. Jeff Sorry. Michaels, MDJ, and Jason Barofka. Uh, Michaels finished 61st. Jeff, you're killing me. Barofka finished 13th. Good work. MDJ finished 12th. Good work. For a final score of 38.6. Now, I had uh, Jimmy Reese finished 30th. Joe Uribe Jr. finished 12th. Brett Height finished 11th. Boy, that Height pick is a good one, Joe. Yeah, Great thanks. call on Brett Height. <laughs> <laughs> For a final score of 17.6, giving me the win and locking up my Rayovac Rumble victory on the season. Are you two ahead or three Woo-hoo! ahead? Or what's the deal here? I'm three ahead now going okay. into the final. So we would have to make the championship worth three for you to even tie. But we're not going to have – that's not happening – I'm taking the victory. Want to go the double or nothing on the championship? Double or nothing. <laughs> nope. I want to go fishing with you, and you're going to be using a barbie pole. It's going to be awesome. Sure. People are looking forward to it. I mean, at least who, I am. People who like watching people get their butts kicked by somebody using a barbie pole. <laughs> yeah. By the it way, will probably I happen. I however. don't own one, so like, do you have one kicking around, or know where we can borrow one? Because I probably want to put some new line on it ahead of time if I'm allowed to. Whoa, whoa, you want to make modifications to this Barbie pole? Well, look, Barbie pole, I'm fine with. But when you say, you know... I was, like, thinking, like, out of the box. We're, oh, we're I'm fine with that, too. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Bring no, it. I, I no. don't have one, though, but we will get one. We'll acquire I, one? Yeah. I, I know that there's quite a few at the Unclaimed Freight near my house, that store, so I may have to pick one up there, but... All right. Yeah. Is this going to be... Is this going to be one of the ones that are like two feet long or one of the ones that are like six feet long? Like what age group are we talking here? It's a two footer. Okay, good. That's okay. what I want. It'll let me skip better. All right. I'm all about, you know, skipping cool. docks with Barbie poles. And we'll have to, uh, you know, one of these weeks take off work early and go out and do this during work because obviously this is work. Well, so. of course. Yeah. So we've got that to look forward In to. In the future, we need to invent more things. That require me going fishing for work. <laughs> so next year's podcast, 
We're going to have so many games that involve fishing-related bets. <laughs> Look out, boys. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, we'll be uh, posting photos and videos and good stuff from all that whenever it happens. All right. That, that's awesome. Um, I guess next up College here, fishing event went yeah, on we've got out two there college, as well, right? We've got two college fishing events, and yeah. I kind of wrote them down to, like, break it up, but do you want me to yeah, just let's go stick right with to the Clear last Lake. one? All right. So, on Clear Lake, the University of Idaho picked up the win. This is the first year their club's been in existence. Nice. Uh, Tanner Moore and Austin Turpin, they caught 41 pounds, 11 ounces. Um, they had a really, uh, really excellent tournament. You know, they really, they had them dialed in. They were, they were fishing shallow. They were throwing a square bill. It wasn't exactly the same kind of thing that Britt was doing to pick up the uh, Rayovac win, but it was, it was in that range where it seemed like there were a lot of guys who finished high targeting, you know, targeting rock, doing that sort of square, square bill type thing, playing the timing type deal. Um, and anyhow, I'll let them talk about how they caught their fish right now. Uh, we started off drop shotting and we found out that the square bill bite was on and we pretty, we were throwing a square bill uh, yesterday and today and that's what our bigger fish came on. That and drop shot. Margarita mutilator. Okay, cool. Um, what, what square bill were you throwing? Uh, throwing a KVD, 1.5, sexy shad. All right, nice. And then and then Tanner Tanner knows what the other square bill is. I'm not quite sure what the other one was. All right, cool. Well, I'll talk to him after, and I'll get that from him too. Uh, what yeah. um, what sort of areas were you targeting with your drop shot, and then with your square bill? Uh, we we're just targeting rock, chunk rock, uh, gravel, like just pretty much rocky areas, rocky shorelines. We were just covering water. Okay. Did you have any? We, like... had, we, we had about five. We had about five spots that we just cycled throughout the day. Uh, we had them on a time. Time was a big key factor, and we would just cycle throughout. And we knew that we could catch them here at a certain time, and we'd go hit that spot. And we'd usually catch about one or two there. Okay. What? What was the, why was timing such a big factor? Was it, uh, did it have to do with, like, shade on the spots or uh, the way wind was blowing or what? Uh, I had to do it both. I mean, the, some of the spots wouldn't be good till the sun was straight up in the air when those bait fish would move up and start sunning. Those fish would come in and eat them. The other spots, uh, wind was a big factor, wind-blown areas, points that we would hit. Where those where those bait fish would be pushed up along there, and we would we would catch those fish there. I was throwing a lucky craft. It was a BDS four square bill, and oh. it was in the ghost. It was in the ghost minnow color. In okay. The morning, in the morning, they seemed to like the. It was like the summer craw or spring craw was the color they liked in the morning, and then as the sun came up, they started eating bait fish, and, or the you know the shad color. And, uh, you know, later in the afternoon, it seemed like our better bites were coming on that KBD 1.5, I think because it's a little bit smaller profile bait. That, that's my only thought as to why those fish were eating that. All right, cool. Do you have uh, do you have some experience on Clear Lake? Because, I mean, it sounds like you guys got them really dialed in. Um, you know, I fished Clear Lake two years ago as a boater for a, a BASS Western Divisional. 
and I, I placed 14th as a you know amongst everybody in that tournament. I think I had one of my days. I had a little over 24 pounds, but I mean, really, you know, that's my only spot. So as far as once we figured out that you know the crankbait bite was on on the square bills, I kind of knew a lot of spots in the back of my head just from being down here before. You know what kind of banks it seemed like they were on. All right, stuff cool. Like that, you know. Cool, nice. Uh, and another thing, you know, we were fishing those those crankbaits. We were fishing them on an Alpha Angler seven foot rebound cranking rod, and it's made it's made with S glass. And I think that you know that helped one we helped us land a lot more fish. And I think it gives those baits a lot more action in the water. One thing, one thing we find is. And it happened to us in practice. I mean, the first day of practice, we figured it out. We probably had 27 pounds. And we had a spot every morning we'd go to. And for two days in practice, and the first day of the tournament, and, you know, we'd, we'd roll up to the spot, three casts, we'd have 12 pounds in the boat. And, I mean, they were cast right in a row, one after the other. But, you know, that spot didn't produce for us today. And every day, though, that bite, we'd have a good morning bite for about an hour. And then we get it shut down, and we wouldn't touch another fish till about one o'clock in the afternoon. So today we didn't have those bites in the morning, so we kind of, you know, we knew we had to get a limit, so we started drop shotting a lot. Our big fish today came on the drop shot. I think it was it was probably around the seven pounder. We were fishing the drop shot a little bit deeper. We were looking for you know anywhere that it went from five to ten feet fairly quickly. Because all of our bites were coming in anywhere from three to five feet of water, and I think those fish were sitting out just a little bit, and then once the wind would start blowing or when they decided to eat, then they'd move up and start feeding. I mean, it, it's pretty surreal right now. I, I don't know if it's really hit me yet. Uh, I mean, yesterday after, you know, we, I think we had a four-pound lead over second place after yesterday. I mean, it really put the pressure on us. I mean, I was pretty nervous coming into the day. I know... I know Austin was pretty nervous. Uh, I mean, it was our tournament to lose, pretty much. We knew we had the fish. We knew we had the spots. We just, you know, had to put them in the boat. So I guess the only couple things to add to that, um, they uh, caught some of their fish uh, drop-shotting a robo-worm, and they were throwing the four-and-a-half-inch size, which surprised it surprised me a little bit, but actually they throw four-and-a-half-inch robo-worms a lot out on Clear Lake, whereas I'm sort of a, like six-inch is my go-to, so it's just interesting to me. But anyhow, uh, they were throwing the Margarita Mutilator color and uh, Aaron's Magic, plus their two crankbaits, obviously, which you heard about. I had never heard of either of those two colors until this press release. Joe, I tell you what, Roboworm has a lot of colors, and I don't know all of them, but I knew those. Um, There's some unique names. Margarita Mutilator? Yeah, I, I don't know where they... Some of them I know where they get them, obviously. Like, mm-hmm. Aaron's Magic is pretty obvious. Um, but Aaron Martins? Yeah. Okay. Uh, but you know, there are plenty of other ones that I'm like, well, I have no idea, uh, but they're out there hmm. and I bet there's a sweet story behind the margarita mutilator color. I hope so. I don't I, know, but I, I, see, I bet there is. I'm trying to think what color it is. Like I know the name, um, and I'm pretty sure if I remember correctly, I'm probably about I would to imagine really... like yellow and green kind of. See, I think I'm about to embarrass myself here, but <laughs> I think it's uh, it's kind of got a little bit of orange in it and sort of a clear, like, light pinkish-reddish top is what my guess is. 
but I'm not sure. Googling it right now. How are we doing here, Joe? <laughs> I, I heard you, I heard you typing. I'm wow. Like, it's not at all orange or green or yellow like I thought. It's actually purple. <sighs> kind of surprising. Yeah, I guess. I'm trying to think. Um... Eh, never mind. Anyhow. Yeah, okay. I had the color in my mind. Obviously, I have the wrong color in my mind. But I, lo- I love Robo Worm colors. They're an awesome study that somebody should do. <laughs> just trying to learn them all. Maybe, a, maybe it could be like a memory game or something. Or you hold up a... You hold up a uh, color and you have somebody tell you what it is. Um, so that might be fun. All right, moving on. There, that wasn't the only college fishing event of the weekend, though. You're right. There was a college fishing event on the Potomac. Uh, the northeast, Northeastern, or is it Northern? Northern. Northern. Uh, it was a Northern Conference Invitational. Uh, qualified another 10 teams to go to the National Championship, just like the Western event did. And uh, West Virginia University went back-to-back. Um, Matthew Gibson and Edward Rood, they won last year's Invitational on the Chesapeake Bay and uh, went back, another tidal body of water on the Potomac, picked up the win. They caught 34 pounds, 2 ounces, and I was wrong. What were you wrong about? Well, I was kind of dogging the Potomac. Mm-hmm. And I was saying, Lefebvre, he picked 36 pounds. I was like, I think that's a little bit off. I don't think it's going to take that. I think it's going to be 12 pounds a day. And then these guys went out and caught more than 15 pounds a day. Had I mean, they were the class of this tournament, but still, they had a great event. And they did. Honestly, you know how Lefebvre was saying that the uh, the fish, that if you get in the right situation, they could be really moving back into the creeks? Mm-hmm. It was kind of that situation. They had a, found a creek where, man, there were a lot of fish there. And they just kept coming back in every day. They said they were eating crawfish. Uh, they were throwing a man's baby one minus and uh, the brown craw color and uh, just catching them up. You may have been wrong about the winning team. However, like I mentioned before, I got to actually go out to this tournament, and it was a really tough tournament. Um, I, obviously, you know, uh, Tanner, or not Tanner, Austin, Matt and Edward caught 34 pounds, but they won by a substantial margin. And uh, most... Every other team didn't catch them like they did. So you were on the ball. Lefebvre just happened to predict the winner correctly. Um, I got to go out to that tournament because we got a little bit of a hit in the uh, public relations department here at FLW. The New York Times is going to be doing a feature story about college fishing and wanted to come out to the event and you know experience the whole tournament. They were out on the water for the entire day interviewing teams that were participating and then hung out at the weigh-in and interviewed them as well. So I went out to assist and make sure they had everything they need and got to see the Potomac for the first time in person, and it was a lot of fun. It's going to be a sweet tournament there next year when the tour visits town. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. It's a, it's a, it's such a cool place. I, I like it there a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, the fishing is maybe not as good as it was in its heyday, but it's still going to be a real fun tournament for sure. <clears throat> Something fun I also wanted to mention about that event Joseph Zapf squeaked into the national championship in 10th place. They won they won 10th place via tiebreaker. There was actually two teams that were tied for that final oh, spot. No kidding. They won via tiebreaker. This is Joe's, Joe's final year in college fishing. It's his fourth consecutive national championship. I would love to uh, you know, see that club of college anglers who went to four straight national championships while they were in school. 
Yeah. Well, I know. Any uh, idea how many people are in that club? I'd imagine there can't be a whole lot. I would guess. I would guess it's between five and ten. Okay. Would be my. That would be my guess. Um, could yeah. be less than five, but I think five to ten seems reasonable. We'll have to do a little more um, research. Sort of on off it, the cause... top of my head, I know at least one other person, and there's probably one other person that I sort of strongly suspect probably has probably made it um, a number of years in a row. Mm-hmm. So you know, I, it seems like, and I'm probably just misremembering a couple of guys. The only potential thing is the Western Conference because that operates sort of on such a different scale of what it takes to make the national championship. Mm-hmm. I, I could see there being a, somebody out there who maybe has been four times in a row who I'm just not totally not thinking of. Um, but I, I don't know. I think uh, I think five to ten seems reasonable. Yeah, I think if I was guessing, I would say you're probably correct. But yeah, Something I, that I, we'll have to research a little bit because, I mean, it is a pretty big accomplishment. I do. You know, that was brought up earlier in the week. I don't know. I don't really know exactly how, uh, but we were talking about it. And it's definitely something I wanna I wanna look into a little bit more and mm-hmm. find out because that's the interesting thing. I should I feel like I should know that. Yeah. So congratulations to first of all Matthew and Edward, West Virginia for winning the event, and then for the Zapf brothers, just you know his fourth consecutive uh, national championship, and he's going to fish his final one with his brother as his teammate. That's pretty cool. Yeah, uh, it's hard to beat. I would imagine. Moving on. College fishing this weekend, Southeastern Conference Invitational on Chickamauga. You want to talk about that? Well, I don't, Joe, because you were the one who talked to, I believe, Michael Neal. Yes, well, this. I want to talk about that. All but right. do you want to talk about that as well, is what I'm saying. Well, I'm all about talking about it, but I don't really have anything to say about it. <laughs> well, just, you will. I'm just looking you forward will. to seeing what happens in it. You're right. I did speak to Michael Neal last week, who guaranteed that this tournament will be won on a frog. He said, no doubt about it. Bold. That is pretty bold. (laughs) Now I really want it to not be one on a frog. (laughs) I think that's guaranteeing anything in fishing. Just, man, that's strong. He said it's actually fishing, uh, Chickamaugas fishing pretty tough right now. He said there's twice as much grass right now as there has been in years past. And it has the fish spread out a lot more than usual. Um. He said if he was in this tournament, he'd be looking for the mats that have slime on top of them. You can hear the brim popping and crackling. He said they sound like Rice Krispies. As I mentioned before, he guaranteed that this tournament would be won on a frog, no doubt about it. He said he'd be throwing frogs and topwater baits all day. He'd be throwing a Lunker Hunt, Lunker Frog, or a Zara Spook, and he wouldn't put either one of them down. So what are your thoughts there? Well, sure. I, I you don't mean, disagree? Look, I'm not going to argue against Michael Neal on Chickamauga. It just <laughs> seems like a losing proposition. Now, do I think there are probably a few other ways guys could catch fish? Yes, I do. Mm-hmm. Um, do I think college anglers could discover some of those other ways? Yes, I do. Uh, does that mean it won't be one on a frog? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, frogs are pretty good. I like frogs. <laughs> so, well, who knows? We'll see. We shall see this weekend. Uh, he thought... Two-day total of 38 pounds would uh, be enough to win it. So not much better than the Potomac right now, which is kind of surprising. Well, I mean, four pounds more would be yeah, a pretty good chunk. Uh, and, I mean, 38 pounds a day, that's what? 19. 
Sure. Yeah. 38 pounds, two that's days. A, that's 19, a 19, day. yeah. That's a 19 pound average. I mean, 19 pounds is a pretty good bag. Definitely. So I think, and you know, in the fall and those TVA lakes, like the fishing is not as good as it's not, the fishing is good, but it's not the way it is on the ledges in the spring when guys are catching 20 pounds mm-hmm. left and right. So I could see that being a reasonable uh, estimate. Tournament two is a two day tournament. Like I mentioned, starts on Saturday. The weigh-in begins at 3.30 p.m. I believe it's Central Time. Chickamauga, is that Central Time? So yeah, four, I think so. 4.30 Eastern. And then Sunday, 5 Eastern, 4 Central. And, yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. The f- final 10 spots. Not the, not the not final, final 10. We got no, we've got more. Rayburn next weekend. But, yeah, 10 more spots to be filled up for the College Fishing National Championship next year. Yeah. Some so, uh, good teams in this event as well. I mean, oh yeah, that Southeast Conference is stacked. Definitely, three Auburn teams competing, three University of Alabama teams competing. You know, we've got uh, a couple teams from University of Florida. Yeah, teams from all over down there. So I'm sure Bethel has some teams in there. Um, yeah, one team from Bethel. Oh, what is it? Cody Ross and Dewey Swims. Oh yeah, those boys are good. Yeah, yeah, they've they probably will. I'm guess I would guess that at some point. Those guys will have fished four national championships. Ooh, bold I mean, prediction. I could be I could be wrong because maybe they've already missed one year. I'm not sure, mm-hmm. but I mean, they're just always finishing up hot. They're super good, um, and I feel like they could be a good bet to do well in this tournament. Uh, so we'll see. Cool. Yeah, you can follow the all the action this weekend at flwlive.com. There we go. Um, all right. So also coming up this weekend, we've got uh, two more BFL regionals the two final BFL regionals. And then it's just the wild card after that, and then we're done with BFLs for the year, I think. Wow, season is coming to an end. It really is, man. So we've got a regional coming up on Sam Rayburn, and uh, I talked with Andrew Upshaw to preview that. He basically said that if they get a nice cold front, if it cools down, you know, if it continues to cool down at all, the fish are going to be up in the grass, and he thought it would be a shallow event, which... It was actually sort of contrary to what you were telling me Rich Dalby said about the upcoming uh Yeah, he thought it was going to be run one oh deep. So it, it seems like it's going to be a kind of neat time to fish. That you've got probably some fish coming shallow as the fall bite gets on, probably still some fish deep. We know Rayburn has a lot of grass right now, so that's a, probably going to be a factor. But it's also got that offshore stuff. So it should be it should provide these college guys with a lot of options. So that'll be something to look forward to. Um, or not these college guys, but it should provide the uh, BFL guys with a lot of options. Mm-hmm. And the college guys, I suppose. So we've got that there. And then we've got a, a stop on Kentucky Lake, which I talked to Jason Lambert, FLW Tour Rookie of the Year, for that one. And he basically said that if the top water bite is on, it's going to be, it could be awesome. Because you can pull up on certain spots this time of year and just get a great topwater bite. Uh, but a lot of times this time of year, the fish are scattered around. And you catch two or three here, two or three there, but you're not going to catch them like you will uh, you know, in a ledge tournament where you'll catch 10 of them here, 10 of them there, uh, sure. that sort of thing. Cool. Looking forward to that. For sure. I think, uh, I think we're ready for a little BFL weekly update. What do you think? Let's do it. All right. And now it's time for the BFL Weekly Update. Oh, yeah. All right. So, number one, 
BFL Regional on Pickwick Lake, Joshua Moore, uh, all the way from down in Louisiana, caught wow. 14 bass for 42 pounds, 14 ounces, and I'm going to let him talk about that right now. Um, I just found a ditch that was surrounded by grass, and it basically fishing shallow. Okay. Did you catch all your fish off that key little ditch? Uh, all but two. Nice. How'd you catch your other two? Uh, one on grass, another on wood on the edge of the river. Uh, it was probably six to 12 foot deep in the center, and it was just off the main river at a main feeder creek. I caught a bunch of fish each day, but just only 14 keepers. Did you think you had enough to take home the win? On uh, on Saturday? No, I didn't, because I had lost a four-pounder right at the boat, and I thought that was going to break the deal. Do you have experience on Pickwick, or did you come up and practice some, or how did you find your spot? No, uh, the Sunday before the tournament was the first day I'd ever been on Pickwick. And you just sort of happened upon it, or did you go out and really feel like you needed to find something unique like that? What were your, what was your practice strategy? Uh, I had started on the main river ledge there, and it just led straight into that grass, and that's when I found them. I mean, just within an hour of pre-fishing. And uh, I never went back to the area until the tournament day. So Moore uh, came up, finished ahead of Lloyd Pickett Jr., who's a stick on Pickwick, by the way. Um, he, uh, used a homemade buzz bait. He was flipping a green pumpkin sweet beaver. Um, and he was throwing a Johnson's custom baits spinner bait. It's, it's a pretty good looking spinner bait actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was throwing the spinner bait and the buzz bait kind of around grass in this key little ditch he had. And he was flipping the sweet beaver around little pieces of wood on the key little ditch he had. And that was basically how he got the job done. Cool. Congratulations, Joshua Moore. And then on Lake Cherokee, Tim Smiley caught 34 pounds, 7 ounces. Tim Smiley basically has won two BFLs in a row now. He won the uh, Super Tournament on Watts Bar for, I think, the Volunteer Division. or the, It was either the Volunteer or the Mountain Division, one or the other. Volunteer fished on Watts Bar. Yeah, so he won that Super Tournament, um, based, it a lot of local, based it a lot on local knowledge, uh, really put together a good tournament, and he basically did the same thing for this one, and I'm going to let him talk about that right now. You you just won uh, not too long ago on on uh, Watts Bar, right? Yes, sir. Sure did. Cool. How does that feel to basically go two in a row? Uh, it felt it felt it felt great. I mean, it uh, you know I thought maybe I'd jinx myself by winning that on Watts Bar because you know they're so tough to win, but uh, you know I just. Uh, I just made the right decisions, you know. I I fished it and I fished Cherokee for forty some years, and it just uh, just worked out. I mean, everything worked out for the best. I had several different patterns. I, you know, I I fished Cherokee and and two other regionals, and 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 my pattern, uh, you know, even though I was on on quite a bit of fish, my pattern didn't hold out. So I knew going into into this one, you know, years older and wiser, 
that uh, uh, how to uh, you know make sure I had several patterns to go by, and I did. I had uh, had a about three different patterns that I was catching fish, and uh, I just I just uh, mixed up the days with those patterns, and everything worked out to work where I had uh, I had a limit all three days. I was catching them deep on structure, on bait and a football head and a and a shaky head, and uh, also was catching uh, fish on top water. And also, I was catching the fish flipping, and uh, worked out to where I caught uh, uh, my 15 fish. I caught deep, and the rest of them I either caught flipping or on top water. Well, top water, I just uh, based it on on knowledge of the lake. You know, I fished it for so long that I know I know where certain fish get and, and everything, but uh, mostly. Uh, some main channel stuff on top, but, uh, some, some and then some some back in cuts. Okay, cool. And then the flipping stuff, were you like targeting any particular type of? No, no. Uh, the, the fish I caught on, uh, doing that was up in the river and it had colored water, and I was basically flipping. You know, I didn't I didn't catch a lot of fish doing it, but I, the fish I did catch was mostly off rock. It wasn't off off wood or nothing. Okay, cool. Um, were you catching your bigger fish flipping, or did uh, did you just sort of use uh, no, that as my an bigger extra fish pack? came deep. Okay, cool. It sounds like the deep stuff was really kind of your your key to winning. Like you had the other things mixed in, but the deep was uh, right. really where it was at. Yes, yes. So those fish stay more consistent in a in a in this time of year, and uh, you know, once I I figured out that I could catch some on couple three different places deep i i sort of you know was uh you know sort of eased my mind a little bit the first day i had i struggled uh the fish wasn't wasn't biting real good in the first first uh two fish that i got on i i lost one on top water about two and a half pounds and then uh it just didn't get it good and uh then the uh, the first fish I got bit on on of course I was throwing a shaky head on a heavier head with with seventeen pound fluorocarbon and I set the hook and broke it. Of course I was uh, amped up. My co angler had already had four, and uh, uh, I was just sort of panicking a little bit, even though I fished for so long. You know how you get, but. Uh, uh, after that, I put a football head on, caught me two keepers, and calmed down, and went into actually went into a cut, and uh, I got a fish on the top water, and it pulled off, and I just sort of dropped my rod and looked down, and that tellinger said, "No one's got it," and my spook was gone, and I reeled down, set the hook, and it jumped and throwed it, and then. I slammed my rod down on the gun of the boat and I turned my back and I was just like, oh, I'm giving this away. And he said, another one's got it. And I read, I looked, I, saw, I thought he was kidding. And I turned around and my spook was gone and I seen the swirl and I reeled in and said to hooking it, throw it at me. So, uh, I, I, you know, at that time, I was like, oh, man. And then I went on up the bank Put a non-keeping smile mouth, and I made an adjustment, 
and uh, just just calmed down a little bit. Went and caught uh, a keeping spot, a keeping smile mouth, and a, uh, a, a about a two and a half pound largemouth island about the last hour and a half. Ended up salvaging the day with a with a limit, which I think ended up basically winning the tournament because the next day I had a good day. Had had thirteen six, and then the following day I caught the most keepers, but they were smaller fish. But well, what was that adjustment you made? Well, I, I, I normally don't. I normally don't throw a feather on the back of my spooks, spooks at times because they, uh, they. I think they zone in on that feather more than they do the bait. And uh, the three pieces that I lost on it just had the back hook, and I just uh, decided to take the feather off and and put the regular hook back on, and from then on, I only lost one piece, and they just didn't get it real good, like the third day, so. So, you know, Smiley had his thing really dialed in. I, I thought it was really cool how, you know, he talked about swapping out from the feathered treble to the non-feathered treble to help his hookups, and, you know, I can understand sort of doing that when you're a little bit desperate. You're like, man, I got to figure something out, but... So much of the time, when you try and do something like that, it doesn't work. Like it turns out, they just don't right. want that. Like you make an adjustment, and adjustments don't work. He made the adjustment, and it just worked to a T. And I thought that was super cool. Do you think that was like a key for him, or was it just a coincidence? I think it was probably a key for him. Okay. I have, I I know I've seen the difference between a feather treble or non feather treble, mm-hmm. or just even a different color or size of top water actually be a big deal a lot of times. Just because, you know, I, I don't know what it is, but I think on places that are clear, they've got shad. I've seen it on clear before, you know. Throwing the right top water can make a big difference. And I think that probably that little adjustment actually was pretty key. I doubt it was a coincidence. Hmm. Um, it might have been a little bit of a coincidence that that adjustment was the one that worked for him. Because maybe he could have made that adjustment to something. Maybe he could have just changed from a spook to a little bit smaller top water or something like that, or just change colors instead of pulling a whole, pulling the treble off and doing that. But mm-hmm. I think probably those fish did want a little bit different look and that's sort of what sealed it for them. Cool. Congratulations, Tim Smiley. Guy is on fire right now. Yes, but he's going to lose his momentum because it's winter now. <laughs> well, not winter <laughs> the now, season is but the BFL season's over. His momentum is out the door. And Joe, uh, I think that's it for the BFL weekly update. Do you have uh, do you have anything fun going on this weekend? Anything else you want to mention before we wrap this thing up? Um, nothing too exciting. I mean, I'm going to be working the college fishing event on Chickamauga on Sunday, as well as watching my Vikings try to turn things around. Last weekend was rough. You're playing the Packers. You're putting me on the spot here. Honestly, I don't even know who we play this week. Oh, I was going to say who they played last week. No, we played the Lions, and it was terrible. I watched it at a Buffalo Wild Wings out in D.C. Oh, it was the weekend before they played the Packers. Yeah, yeah, and that was uh, disgusting as well. You lost to the Lions, too? Yep. Ah, that's too bad. Yeah, so... Oh, we play the Bills this week. That's who. So we've got a shot, although the Bills' defense is really tough this year, so... Well, you know, the Patriots did put up, like, high 30 points on them just last week, I think. Yeah, Maybe thirty-seven or so. Yeah, Patriots seem to have turned it around as well. For yeah, they you, seem so. to be uh, playing well, which is pleasant. 
Yeah, uh, I like so it. I'll be doing that Sunday. Be uh, be Saturday, I'm going to go plans. find a haunted maze or haunted house or something like that to go through with the fam. Go do some fall stuff. Find a pumpkin patch. And... Some fall stuff. Yeah, yeah, I feel like you like raised one eyebrow for that. <laughs> I was like, whoa. <laughs> you can tell this is the girlfriend that's uh, got all these plans stuff. going. Yeah, we're gonna go find an apple orchard. Maybe pick some apples. I don't know. We'll see. All right, cool. So, well, how about apple you? Apple orchards are pretty fun. You um, got anything fun going on this weekend? Well, I don't really have to work this weekend, so I kind of yeah. been. I originally had planned I was gonna fish. Uh, Winona's Fall Brawl Tournament. What happened with that? Well, Kyle bailed on me. He's not fishing. He's going to help his dad out on, like, fixing up their cabin or something for the winter. It's on Sunday? Yeah. Okay. Um, And so my partner bailed on me, which is a bummer. And then I've got I had a bunch of trouble with my bow graph on my boat. I've got to do some rewiring work on that. And I think probably what I'm going to do is Saturday I'll – Work on that and get it fixed. Mm-hmm. Fish somewhere locally. Probably just fish somewhere locally again on Sunday. I have been thinking about maybe going out after work and fixing it. And then, like, taking a trip this weekend to someplace cool and fish for smallmouth. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Sturgeon Bay is a real hike. And I wanted there's other places in Minnesota, but I kind of... Wanted to maybe try a Great Lakesy type place. I don't know. I I haven't really. <laughs> yeah, honestly, it sounds like you haven't made up your mind. I haven't yet. made up my mind. And honestly, I could be like tomorrow. I could be like, you know what? I'm gonna book a room here and just schlep on out and catch hogs. So who knows? It's it's gonna be it's gonna be whatever it's gonna be. It's gonna be a decent weekend just from the fact that I don't really have anything to do. I'm I'm gonna get to call my Those own shots. Those are fun the weekends. Time. Those are fun weekends. Um, well, so we know it. that if people are interested in your weekend, you'll be tweeting and instagramming all about it so where can they find you online jody well they can find me on twitter at jody blanco nice uh they can find you on twitter at joe opager yes uh they can find flw on twitter on facebook on instagram on youtube where there's a new beyond the basics video ish monroe ish monroe smacking a 10 pounder yeah um and at flwoutdoors.com and of course flwlive.com if you want to watch some weigh-ins this weekend Um, No, let's get out of here. All right, guys, thanks for listening. Uh, We'll be back next week. Bye.